That's uh, a story, um, uh, the, the true story. Uh, Father Barnabas Ahern, who uh, was a passionist um, scripture scholar in his day, and also a missionary um, and um, a very holy man. Uh, and as the years went by, uh, over his career, he had uh, written a lot and preached a lot, but he uh, loved especially the topic of the poverty of Mary. That was uh, his, really his beloved theme, and he would often preach on that and address that, so poverty was big for him. But as the years went by, he began to go into dementia. And uh, for many of us who have used our mind as our main way of facing the world and uh, sort of engaging and uh, so much a part of our identity, to begin to lose mental faculties must be a horrifying experience. But at any rate, it uh, began to get so bad that um, finally they needed at the monastery where he was because as people with dementia sometimes do, he would wander off. And so they finally had to put a little bracelet around his wrist which said, my name is Father Barnabas Ahern, CP, and my address is, and there was the address, and my phone number is, and uh, basically the message, uh, if I'm lost, would you return me, type of thing. And so anyway, uh, he had that around his rest, wrist, and when one of his closest confreres, uh, with whom he had shared a lot spiritually, came to visit him, he held up the band and he said, See, now I am truly poor. Uh, and that story was told at his funeral. And, uh, you know, we, we know that uh, that is the, really, the purpose of our lives, um, is to die to ourselves and to enter totally into Christ. That's the meaning of poverty. That's the meaning of any aspect of St. Francis or of Jesus that we want to talk about. For St. Francis, as we said, it began with the cross, the San Damiano cross, and it ended with the cross. And that was, uh, by a very special grace, actually incarnated in his life by the stigmata. And Padre Pio, St. Pio, and so many other beautiful Franciscans uh, really have uh, you know, been such an incarnation of the life of Christ. Uh, I really think that the um, reason that St. Francis has caught the popular imagination uh, and interest far outside of um, uh, Catholicism and even far outside of Christianity is because of the fact that he so reflects Christ. And even people who, for various reasons, can't approach Christ and maybe the cross scares them, uh, maybe other things scare them, can somehow find it a little easier to approach uh, Jesus in the person of St. Francis. And, uh, but, you know, the lesson to learn, uh, I think, this whole retreat um, is aimed at the point of saying that, um, you know, the cross is 
our destination. Now you might say, well, what about the resurrection? What about the kingdom? What about eternal life? Well, that is the ultimate destination. But uh, we are, you know, after Vatican II, it was very popular to have risen Christs on the cross. And I'm not opposed to that, but uh, it somehow takes away a huge chunk of something uh, from me. And um, I think my love of the crucifix, which is, again, a particularly Catholic and a particularly Franciscan thing, <clears throat> is um, that's because that's where we are. And we also, as St. Paul says, are already uh, experiencing and tasting the resurrection through the cross. And we already are beginning to experience through the sacraments and through the life of grace what lies beyond the cross and what is the significance of the cross. But we live now in our lives at the foot of the cross, or actually, as Jesus said, on our own cross. Take up your cross and follow me. It would have been very different if somehow when Jesus, as a lot of people were expecting, when Jesus rose from the dead, that would have been the end of the world. And heaven and earth would have been renewed with the resurrection of Christ. But that is not God's plan. And one of the arguments against the, you know, the, the reality and significance of Christ, and one of the arguments against the, even the existence of God, is if Jesus did all that, uh, why are we still living like this? You know? And by the way, uh, many um, who are really searching have commented, uh, uh, I can, I'm getting old, I can no longer remember exactly who said this, but uh, you know, comments like, uh, do these Christians really look like people who believe they're saved? Or Christianity is a wonderful thing, it's just that it hasn't been tried yet. And those kinds of comments, which kind of indicate that we are, in many ways, the distance between us and the kingdom is very real. And that might seem like a failure of the whole uh, Paschal mystery, that the Paschal mystery somehow miscarried and here we are plodding along, uh, sometimes certain days, and certainly during 2018, not looking like we're doing a very good job of uh, being Christ and of proclaiming Christ to the world. And the tragedy of 2018 in many ways is that it <clears throat> can in some ways set back uh, so much that we have been trying to do. Why is all that going on if Jesus has died and has risen? Well, because Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And the apostles, and in particular St. Paul, uh, seem to have had the hope uh, that, you know, in the, in the tremendous uh, zeal and excitement and power that came out of Pentecost, uh, that it wouldn't be long now. You know, there was a, a, 
passionist monk, a passionist uh, priest, a very old gentleman, but who had a dry sense of humor. And like I said, he was very old and life was getting harder for him, you know, to walk and everything that happens to us old people. And um, he would always, you know, when you passed him in the hall and he was laboring away at something or other, he would kind of mutter under his breath as he passed you, it won't be long now. And, uh, you know, it, uh, sometimes uh, it seems to us that uh, it is a very long time in coming. But that is because we are here to become Christ. We are here not only to talk about him, to witness to him, or to anything else, have nice ideas and give great powerful homilies and all that about him. We are here to become him. That's the reason the most powerful sacrament he gave us, baptism obviously is needed to initiate us, but the most powerful sacrament, as Vatican II says, the source and summit of the life of the Church is the Eucharist. And that is because in the Eucharist we become really incarnated with Christ. Uh, our humanity, we have said, is already our commonality with Jesus. And in the Eucharist we are able to actually, there's nothing more intimate than one can think of, take him within ourselves become one with him. He dwells in us. But even more importantly, like food that is consumed, he becomes not only part of us, but hopefully he takes over us. And that is the reason for poverty, and that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And we're headed there. We're headed into a total self-gift. That's the point of it all. And if we are attached in all kinds of ways, if we are looking down on people instead of, as Christ did, humbling himself, lowering himself, and if we are not coming to live more deeply in Christ, and that is the only way to do it. The Eucharist and the Last Supper are one event together with the passion and death of Jesus and his resurrection. We should consider all of those to be one event. What Jesus did at the Last Supper is what he did on the cross. They are the same mystery. And the disciples, the first disciples of Jesus, including St. Paul, found out that it wasn't going to, uh, you know, it was going to be longer than they thought before it would be consummated. And here we are 2,000 years later, and uh, we are still being brought, you know, generations of people after Christ who have the great privilege brought about by Christ to be taken up into his divine life. We don't know how history will end. We don't know where it is going. Sometimes it looks like right over a cliff. But anyway, uh, if it goes over the cliff, guess 
who will be catching us as we fall. And in any event, that is where it is going. And through the cross, it is going on to the transformation of the resurrection as we die with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he took into his dying and into his suffering the suffering and death of every single human being. Whether they had lived before him, whether they were standing at the foot of the cross and were his contemporaries, or whether they would live like us long after him. He, because he is the Son of God, he took into those moments of his suffering on the cross and into the moment of the total self-gift he gave uh, at when he said, it is consummated, it is complete, it is finished, it is accomplished. And at the same time, it was just getting started. The blood and water flowing from his side and the, as St. John says, the breath, the spirit that he gave up as he died was the birth of the church. And that would allow a many future generations to be taken up into the Paschal mystery, into the dying and rising of Christ. The act of supreme love. And that's what we need to remember as we're talking about everything we're talking about during the retreat. Namely, why be poor? Well, we've talked about and why give up attachments? You know, why not have everything I can get and enjoy everything I can and be a, an Epicurean or a Stoic or just a simple old hedonist and, you know, just sort of get it all, have it all? Um, and why not do that? Well, the reason is because that is dead-ended. Doesn't look like it, but it is. It's dead-ended. And probably uh, a few of us here have uh, taken those roads for a while before we realized that they were dead-ended. And then out of nowhere came the grace to discover Christ all over again. And it didn't come out of nowhere. It came out of that mystery. It came out of that. What Christ did there, you know, in an intimately personal way, I mean, each one of us as individuals were and are in the heart of Christ crucified as individuals. Just as God the Father has known and loved, known and loved you eternally. God has. God's eternal. God didn't one day think you up, you know, or think me up. Uh, you know, you might decide whether that would have been God having a good day or a bad day. But anyway, he didn't one day think us up eternally. We're not eternal, but eternally he has known and loved us. And he knew that we would come to be in time. And eternally he has longed for us to come to share in the divine life of the Trinity, the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that has been his plan for us. And we know about original sin 
and our own sin and all the things that have complicated that and have made us struggle much more than we otherwise would ever have had to struggle. But in any event, he is bringing us, he is, you know, the suffering we have, the poverty we embrace, the humility in which we seek to live, is not to make ourselves more miserable than we might already be, but it is for the sake of making us free for him. Free to love like that. Free to love with a self-emptying love. So that's what the freedom we are seeking is for. And it is to enter into an ever more deepening self-giving love. Humility is not a virtue that we seek because we already hate ourselves for various reasons, maybe having to do with experiences we had very early in our lives when we didn't feel loved very much by certain persons, parents often. Uh, We didn't feel loved. Our parents had their own problems a depressed mother, a drunk father, whatever it might have been. And sadly, we know that in the present world, where marriage and family have uh, all but collapsed, you know, you have these lovely families around here, you know, with 25 children, and, uh, you know, they're all lined up, you know, they they require two pews uh, to get them all in. You know, you you have this, this is almost like a time warp here, you know. Time warp. Uh, I'm old enough, I lived in the 50s, you know, and I'm waiting for Leave it to Beaver or something to kind of, you know, come out of it. And it's it's marvelous. And I'm happy to say that around the monastery at St. Vincent, there are a similar gathering of people. I'm even happier to tell you that in our college, you know, I've been at St. Vincent 44 years, And I'm happy to tell you, I have never seen as many intentionally Catholic young people in our college in 44 years. You know, coming over for spiritual direction, college students coming over for spiritual direction and confession, and they're not nerds, you know, know, and I wouldn't mind if they were, but they're not. You know, they're getting into all the things that uh, their peers are getting into, making all the mistakes, getting drunk, uh, you know, struggling with pornography, whatever it is. But they are intentionally Catholic. And when I ask them uh, occasionally, you know, how has the uh, sex abuse scandal among priests bothered or affected them, uh, they say things like, well, you know, we're kind of surprised there are so many. But it doesn't affect us. Um, We know there are, you know, the vast majority of good priests. And we know everybody has problems everywhere. So it doesn't, it doesn't, we don't think about it that much. They have that kind of faith. Well, we're here in order to become more deeply taken up into the life of Christ so that we can share that in all the different wonderful ways you can with your apostolates uh, to share all of that and bring people even more fully into that. Because those people, like ourselves, were individually in the heart of Christ 
as he suffered on the cross, even before we came into being. And he has, he has loved us. The Son is the eternal Son. He has loved us eternally. And so when we go to him, it's not like we're making his acquaintance. Isn't that always how, uh, you know, like a quality that religious conversion has? You know, when you had your conversion, you had this feeling like, I knew it all along. I knew it all along. This is the, down deep, I knew this. I recognize the truth that somehow deep in myself, I already knew. And that is because the Lord has been working in our hearts ever since we were conceived and has been loving us long before, eternally before we were conceived. So when we seek to live in the spirit, you know, this is what gave St. Francis so much joy. You know, this is why, you know, he ran around, I imagine, like looking like a nut, you know, running around, you know, uh, so joyful and proclaiming the good news because he lived in this. He had the uh, grace and the sanctity, the holiness to live this, and he lived it so fully that it ended like that. And he lived it so fully that uh, in the end, I understand, uh, he became more and more of a solitary. And he even experienced, as many of us have and will, that many of his own brothers didn't get him anymore. He experienced not only the solitude of going off to Mount Alverno, he experienced the solitude of not being understood. And story told that he arrived at uh, friary during a big meal and uh, uh, came as a beggar covered with ashes and stuff like that, and he wasn't recognized. And, you know, that is the, that's the reason for poverty, so that we can recognize, so that we can recognize, so that we don't become estranged, so that we don't have all those layers of, of issues and interests and attachments and and, you know, sin sometimes that keep us from the immediacy that Francis uh, gave Francis so much power in his proclamation of the gospel. And that's the reason that I honestly think, you know, it's going to be uh, many of the newer religious uh, communities who, who are trying to live more radically. <clears throat> you know, young people... Um, very often, and I hate to say it, but you know this even pertains to my Benedictine community. Uh, in the uh, according to the judgment of a lot of young people, you know they want something more radical. They don't want to be sucked into some institution. They want to be able to live their faith and to preach the gospel in more radical ways. So we have all these, um, you know, missionary groups that young people are in. I'm sure you know all about that, you know, Focus, Culture Project, uh, St. Paul's Outreach, uh, things like that. They just had the big Sikh uh, meeting in Chicago, I believe. And, uh, you know, where I heard something like 12,000 uh, young people were. That's 
the immediacy that not only young people are looking for, but that St. Francis witnessed to. And a poverty and simplicity and an immediacy, a faith that is really willing to risk, not just for the sake of risking, but for the sake of making sure not to get sucked into some kind of institutional structure that is going to ultimately prevent a living out in a radical way as they feel called to do. That's what attracted people to St. Francis. That's why within such a short time you couldn't count the number of little brothers of St. Francis. They were running around everywhere like ants. You know, and the reason for that was because even in that time, in the 13th century, even in that time, uh, there had already become such an alienation, is the word I would use for it, an alienation between those who were proclaiming the gospel and the people they were trying to proclaim it to. And so there is a real task, and you are well positioned in this. And Mother Angelica, you know, I mean, didn't she cut through stuff? You know, she just went ahead and did it and uh, paid the price often, but didn't bother her much, you know. She, she was a fighter. Uh, you know, she grew up in Akron, I guess. Uh, Akron's the kind of place where you have to be able to fight your way through life. But anyhow, plus her illnesses, her handicaps, all that stuff. And, you know, that, that is what we need to be. Uh, that is what young people will respond to. You know, they have all these depressing uh, statistics that uh, the millennials and so forth uh, are really um, uh, just not in, interested in institutional religion. And they put down none when they're asked what their uh, religious faith is. Well, I think that is because uh, of the fear they have of the institutions that have sometimes really handicapped the church. And so that's where it begins and that's where it ends. And maybe we can ask ourselves uh, today in prayer, ask the Lord and talk with the Lord about our own readiness for this or whether we are ensconcing ourselves in a comfortable spot where we have lost some of the fervor that led us here in the first place, whether we have lost some of the dimensions uh, of the conversion that the Lord graced each one of us with, probably more than one conversion, usually one big one <clears throat> and countless other smaller ones, whether we have lost the graces or have not yet begun to use the graces that the Lord has already given us. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be world without end. Amen. St. Francis of Assisi, St. Clair, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.